Welcome into the Forum Club. The Lakers continue their quest for a ring, but I'm joined by somebody who's already got one. Anthony Slater, did you get married since we last talked to you? I got a ring. It's cool looking. You know, a little silver ring. Uh, not as uh, sexy as those, you know, diamond encrusted championship rings, but uh, it comes with uh, much more happiness, in my opinion. Well, you haven't won an NBA championship, so you can't know that definitively. I have covered some NBA champions over the years, and let me tell you, I have learned from covering those NBA championships and the seasons that come afterwards. It just doesn't bring the happiness that you thought it was going to bring. I can mention one particular player that I've covered over the years, but I really don't want to get into that. So I think my ring is going to bring a lot more happiness than than an NBA title ring. Well, we all are happy for you. Congratulations. Um, You have many happy years ahead of you. Yes. You're five years in, right? I mean, not to spin it back on you, but it sounds like my... Uh, wedding date is matches up with your anniversary and you're, you're five years in correct you got married on my fifth anniversary which was a nice celebration also right before the the playoffs got started so um it was fun to be celebrating with my wife and thinking about you having your special day down in, in san diego with with your bride so congratulations to you guys but since that has happened now that you're back in the saddle here uh we have a playoff series and we have a playoff series that i think slater you and i agree is over Lakers are up 3-1 on the Portland Trailblazers after their Game 4 uh, route on Mamba Day, 8-24. And there's a lot to get into on this series because I think, you know, the last time we spoke, we were anticipating this series. You did a, an outstanding breakdown of, of the matchups that were going to make a difference, keying in on Anthony Davis versus Yusuf Nurkic. That has indeed proven to be a pivotal matchup. But really the biggest thing in this series has been the Lakers' defense, and the way they have been able to contain those Blazers guards and keep them from having those explosive nights that we saw all throughout the seeding round and really over the years with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. And specifically with Dame Slater, he, he only had 11 points before leaving uh, game four with, with a knee injury. We don't know if he's going to play in game five. By the time this podcast drops, listeners may have that information, but we do not as of now. You have a great story up today on The Athletic that really breaks down how the Lakers have been able to have so much success guarding, you know, the, the player of the bubble in Damian Lillard. And and by the way, uh, big storyline, big, big, big story arc theme that we thought was going to be a really big deal coming into the se- this, this series, the absence of Avery Bradley. The Lakers have made you forget about it, Avery Bradley. Uh, break it down for us. We tend to, as like basketball prognosticators, consumers, fans, we love just like the one-on-one matchups. You know, like no more Avery Bradley. Who can guard Damian Lillard? Uh, and particularly in the playoffs, we kind of just forget about the team-wide aspect of a defense. Like Anthony Davis is not face guarding uh, Damian Lillard, but he's on the court. And that's, you know, part of the defense that will be guarding Damian Lillard, a five-man defense. And the Lakers, with and without Avery Bradley this season, um, were an elite defense. They were a top-three defense. Uh, in the playoffs so far, they've been the best defense. They have a bunch of really good defensive components. Now, that doesn't necessarily include just an on-ball bulldog stopper, um, but it doesn't have to. And, and you have Davis, who might be the best defensive player in the in the league you have a couple other big centers who block a bunch of shots you have lebron james as engaged as he's been uh in a while really even more so than even in his cap you know second cavalier stint defensively and then you have frank vogel probably the most underrated uh you know portion of this kind of concoction we're talking about who is a proven defensive mastermind back to his indiana days um and they have just had a smart game plan against damian lillard and 
I I think that goes back to it's not like they were looking at the seeding games going, you know, what's working, what's not against Damian Lillard? What are the the Nets and Mavericks and Clippers doing? No, I think what they did is what has worked against Damian Lillard in the past because in the playoffs because elite defenses historically have really shut him down. He's 1 in 12 in three career series against the Warriors because the Warriors would just trap him, get the ball out of his hands. And, you know, again, kind of as I detailed, he's not really great off the ball. It's a little bit more James Harden than Steph Curry. Steph Curry is the king of beating defenses while they're not looking at him. You can't trap him if he doesn't have the ball. He's scattering around. He's relocating. He's running off pin downs. Uh, He can grapple with you more because referees tend to look at the ball, not at the off ball stuff. Uh, And that's how he kills defenses and gets the open threes that have won him three titles. Um, Whereas Damian Lillard hasn't done that. He lost 4-1 to a really good Spurs defense back in the day. He lost 4-1 to a Grizzlies defense back when it had Tony Allen and, and those, you know, Marcus Saul, all those players. Um, and in to end up this, you know, long-winded rant or whatever you want to call it, it's just the Lakers have a really smart defense that is keyed in on him, that is meeting him at half court, that is hounding him at all times, that is punishing him physically on the other end uh, and trapping in it and getting out of his hands. And, you know, I love Lillard. He's a Hall of Famer. He was unbelievable in the seeding games. But he, when this happens, I've seen it in the past with the Warriors, he kind of tends to throw the ball away and give up a little bit. And, and some of that is the personnel around him. He just does not have championship-level you know, teammates. Um, but him and the Blazers have pretty much given up. Uh, and you could definitely tell that with that 15-0 run to start the game where Lillard was just kind of wa- you know waving the ball to other players, wasn't really moving around. And it just the series fell over then, and it was because of how they've defended Damian Lillard. To me, really, if you go back to really even the second quarter of game one, that was when the Lakers defense really started to assert itself. And obviously they lost game one. But if you looked at what they did to the Blazers offensive rating um, over the first few games, you have a, you have an offense that was um, you know scoring 100, what, 124 points per 100 possessions. And it was the best in the bubble. And the Lakers defense drove that down to the worst among all teams in the playoffs. And that is um, certainly, you know, some of that can be, can be on Portland. Um, you know, I think, I think fatigue is, is no doubt a factor after the run they've been on in Orlando, but give the defense credit. What the Lakers have done is something that nobody else um, in the bubble has been able to. And also, you know, no other team really had the time to prepare and, and really the, the need to um, put in the kind of preparation that, that the Lakers have. But um, it, it has worked. And I think, you know, you're, you're spot on about Frank Vogel, um, who, by the way, we've talked about whether or not he deserved to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year. He finished fifth. In, in voting among media, which I thought was um, a nice nod for him to at least be in the in the conversation. Let's shift now to the other side of the ball and and what we've seen from from the Lakers' two big stars, uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James, because they both have been dominant in this series. And you know, we obviously had a, a triple double from LeBron. We've had a forty point game from AD. The way that those two have really keyed in and taken their games to to the next level. It wasn't both of them in every game. Early on, it felt like they were kind of taking turns. LeBron uh, was very quiet in game two, only scored 10 points. It was the fewest points he'd ever scored in a playoff win. Some, you know, 158 playoff career wins. He never scored only 10 points. But he's also never really had a teammate like Anthony Davis. He's had great teammates. He's had arguably better teammates if you want to get into the Dwayne Wade AD conversation. Yeah, I would say Wade is probably the, the comparable one. Right, but, but he's never LeBron had a team. LeBron was at a different stage. Exactly, and he's never had a team where he could take a back seat. Even, even with as great as Wade was, Wade and LeBron 
kind of needed to carry that team together. And AD and LeBron have as well, and LeBron has been much more in a facilitator role this year. But the idea that LeBron could play 26 minutes in a playoff game and score 10 points and his team would lead by 30 for most of the second half is just unfathomable to me. And it just speaks to, and this is game two I'm talking about, just speaks to the way this Lakers team was built. And LeBron, that was the game where LeBron said, this team is built different. Now he was talking about all the things that they've been through, you know, going back to China. Well, they're built different than last year. I know that. But Exactly. I mean, this is a team that was actually built for the run they're on now. They have the personnel to present themselves as credible championship contenders. And I think this series has reestablished them as such. The seeding round, the Lakers were... The Lakers were pretty miserable uh, to watch. It was not an enjoyable experience. And you get into a playoff series and all of a sudden it clicks and it's like, yes, that's Anthony Davis. Yes, that's LeBron. AD is dominating in the post. He's active around the rim. He's making shots from the mid-range from where he was atrocious in the in the seeding rounds for Three some of 25. Three of 25 from the mid-range, which is crazy. You know, he hasn't been that great this season from the mid-range, 34%. What's interesting about what you're saying, I think that he has had the offensive teammates to shoulder the load in past playoffs. Kyrie Irving, I've seen him in the finals. Sure. They both go for 40, basically. Yeah, Dwayne Wade back in the day, I mean, like peak Dwayne Wade was unbelievable. Chris Bosh himself was like this really kind of good co-star, third star, whatever you want to say. What he hasn't had that he has in Davis is this is the best defender I think he's ever played with you know Davis is kind of anchoring that defense they form this very interesting identity for a LeBron team I think where they are the best defense in basketball I think it's starting to be established the best built playoff defense yes they were third this year and you know maybe you could argue Toronto Toronto has so many smart defenders but to me the Lakers are built to defend in the playoff physically what they're doing to Lillard and all that the offense has been you know question mark the worst of the 22 teams they're not built to be unbelievable offensively but you know 22nd out of 22 teams in the seeding games that was concerning game one where they go five of like 32 from three lebron can and as he's shown lebron will when needed and after they lost game one to portland i think he realized it was starting to be needed will drag them to a respectable offense. Davis, if he's hitting the mid-ranger, and again, he's only 34% from the mid-range. So what he's done the last couple games, which I think at one point he was like 9 of 10 over a three-quarter stretch, that's not sustainable necessarily. But, you know, again, it's kind of the seesaw. What also wasn't sustainable is he wasn't going to go 3 of 25, just like KCP and Danny Green weren't going to shoot like 1% from three. But now suddenly the last few games they're shooting like 55. So there just will always be a seesaw to them offensively. Um, but what makes them right now, um, as we just do this horse race where every day we kind of take note, they're the favorites in the West as of our, us talking right now because the Clippers have question marks. Paul George, again, is fading in the playoffs, which he's done in the past, and that's a concern. It's what we talked about on that Lakers-Clippers podcast with Yovan, and they're in a 2-2 series. That, you know, By the time people are listening to that, it will be 3-2 either Mavericks or Clippers. I don't know which team. Houston, who is... I still think will be a second round threat, which we can get to, is in a 2-2 series with the Thunder. You know, Utah's playing well, but nobody thinks they're a title contender. I think because of what the Lakers have done defensively and because of the identity they built defensively, they are the favorites. The offense is the Achilles heel. The fact that they can slump as jump shooters is a big concern. And it's just, to me, it's just an interesting identity for a LeBron team compared to his past ones. They are like... You know, I don't know. I, do I want to compare him to like the Detroit 04, like Detroit Pistons or whatever? You know, just like the best defensive team in basketball that, man, their offense really kind of needs to putter across the finish line because they have the title defense. 
Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to even hear you think about it as as the O four um, Pistons because that team is just thought of as the you know the antithesis of the modern um, modern championship team because it was the you know certainly you wouldn't call it a starless team but that that was not a team with with a superstar. I mean you've got you've got you've got you've got you've, you've got high mid level stars in Rasheed Wallace, Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups. But it, the ingredients are different. But like what you're saying does make does make sense. This is a team that. You know, and you go back to some of your research earlier in, in the playoffs on how badly teams have needed to be top 10 three-point shooting teams to win titles. And the Lakers will be bucking a trend if they win a championship this year. And they've done it by going big with, um, you know, three seven-footers in the rotation. They've done it with a low mediocre three-point shooting. And they've done it with LeBron James not leading his team in scoring. There's a lot about this team that is um, a zag as opposed to a zig. And it's made it interesting to watch how they they have had success. And and I think that's going to continue in future series. But so far, they have been the one team in the Western Conference, with the exception of the Jazz. And I think that that series has been a lot of fun. But I don't think anyone anticipates that is going to shape the title race. Doesn't but, it feel like an Eastern Conference series though? Like, because the East first round was so bad, and the West yeah. first round's been great, and then it's yeah. like, oh, Utah, Denver, oh, that's yeah. on. But it's been a great. I mean, I, I, it, yeah. it's not a sexy matchup, balls, but it's been a way. great series. It's been a lot of fun to watch. You know, again, we'll know the answer to this by the time the podcast is out. But I feel like Utah closes out that series. I don't. I don't feel like teams that have been that have been on the ropes in closeout games have put up a whole lot of fight. The same energy or desire. To extend a series if you're down 3-1 or 3-0 that you see in a normal playoff series because these guys have been in the bubble for two months they can they can read the writing on the wall they know they've lost the series I don't know if you can summon the same real fight in the fourth quarter of a of an elimination game that uh, you do in a normal year so I, I think you know, I think teams with a 3-1 3-0 series lead um, have been able to pretty convincingly take care of business you don't have the just like the home court swings yeah. back and forth and. You know, I do think, like, if you're Portland today, or, you know, again, if you're Denver or some of these other teams, we could say uh, the Magic, basically, with no chance to beat the Bucks. you're probably sitting there like, man, I can't wait to get out of this bubble. Absolutely. You listen to LeBron talk about the bubble, even. You know, he's not having fun being in the bubble. There's not, it's not like, it's not like, it's like, secretly, it's like the bubble's the cool place to be. The bubble is a grind. It is an emotional and mental, um, just constant exercise in in trying to not go crazy but what keeps you motivated is the title and there's a certain number of teams that know that they have a chance to win the title and when you get to a point where you know you don't have a chance and right now portland knows it doesn't orlando the ones we mentioned know they do not have any chance they're just like you said you just kind of lay over and die a little bit more than uh you know past teams that are down 3-1 or down 3-0 but it's like hey we got another home game the crowd's gonna juice us up you know, let's give it a shot. You know, we'll extend yeah. our season a couple games, but you know, post game, I'm going to see my family still when I walk in the family room. Yeah. That no longer exists. That's why the Lakers are going to win the first round in five. Uh, I look forward to Terry Stotts playing this uh, in his pregame speech on Wednesday. Um, but to me, that that's why the series is just is over and will be done um, at the earliest possible. It it felt over twice in game three. That fourth quarter, you just. It was one of the factors we talked about heading in the series. Like, you know, is Portland exhausted? You know, are they in a better rhythm than the Lakers or are they just way more fatigued than the Lakers? And remember, he played four of their five starters all 12 minutes of the fourth. And that included like Nurkic, who looked so drained and the Lakers were just picking on him. And it was very easy. And it was like right then you're like, just Portland just does not have the 
you know, conditioning or just the energy to last in this series. But then you're like, hey, maybe they regroup. Maybe they start, you know, game th- game four down 2-1 with like some burst and like, you know, Lillard has a, you know, transformational game. And then, you know, right away it's it's 10-0, it's 15-0, and Lillard is just floating around out there. And it was like, this is over, over. And I just... Do you possibly see them coming out inspired in Game 5? I just, I don't really I don't. We don't know if Lillard will even play in Game 5. And and to me, it's it's just, it's 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 the setting. It's the environment. And I think I think head-to-head in a normal playoffs, this is a six-game series. This 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 feels like a six-game matchup. Because Moda would have been fired up for one of yep. these games, and Portland probably would have gotten him. But that didn't yep. feel and, like Moda said. And, and, and there's just and there's just so much um, energy and, and, and pride to that Portland team. You know, I, I you know Lillard is such a fighter. Um, but I think I think that the way that this this has gone, I think the fact that two of the the Lakers wins have been just wildly lopsided blowouts. Um, I think I think Portland's spirit has been has been sort of um, trampled. So I think so. No, I don't think Portland comes back in any way in Game Five. Um, if they somehow do, certainly not extending it beyond Game Six, um, and that and that brings us to the second round. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I and I think the Lakers are one of the few teams in the league right now that can actually confidently look ahead to the second round, and all eyes are on that Houston OKC series. And I don't know Slater. I mean, you you have a lot more familiarity with with those two franchises than I do, but I I don't think even without Russell Westbrook through four games. I don't know that either of us expected this to be a tied series at, at 2-2. Well, particularly after it was 2-0, right? You know, I was I was starting to think, man, the Lakers better get Portland done quick because, like, Houston's going to be waiting. Like, I was thinking sweep was possible. And the reality is sweep was very possible. Game 3 went OT. Houston had a few shots to win it down the stretch uh, of Game 3. They had some bad inbounds. Like, they just they, they made some blunders. And if they don't, they're up 3-0. And maybe, like we mentioned, the whole laydown idea, yeah. maybe – Oklahoma City lays down in four, and we're like Houston's already advanced. But instead, it's two-two. Very interesting game five on the way. Chris Paul is starting to just kind of you know sniff Houston, and um, like the fact that like this the the math with Houston's always been interesting. Where we talk about how dangerous they can be when they hit a bunch of threes, but there always is the flip side. There we've seen the flip side with the Warriors, where in game seven a couple of years ago they missed twenty-seven straight threes and lost because imagine going 0 of 27 over a stretch that's crazy um and then yesterday you thought they were going to go up 3-1 when they start the third quarter i think they went up like 18 or something like that because they went eight of eight from three and then they melted down because over the rest of the game I, I, I don't know the exact number but i think they basically made like three of their next like 25 um they're doing crazy stuff though you know they've shot 50 or more threes in all four games it's like an nba record um so i what i really think is going to happen because we saw russell westbrook i saw some tape during the broadcast where he was really working out hard um and maybe again by the time people listen to it maybe they already know this answer it seems like he's kind of on his way back i think houston wanted to save him for the lakers but it's getting too dangerous now and i think with him back i think with houston's more of a talent level with James Harden. I do think Houston advances, and I do think they remain very dangerous, particularly if Westbrook comes back and looks good. Um, and that now, if you're the Lakers, you are rooting for Oklahoma City these next few games. We will be back after this. Even if it's just to 
extend the Rockets. But obviously, um, the Thunder are not a championship contender. With all due respect to Chris Paul and, and what Billy Donovan has done with that team, they're, they're, that is not a team that you can see getting through the Lakers and the Clippers to get to the finals. And, and really, I don't know that you can see the Rockets getting through both of them either. But I, we've said this kind of throughout, um, and the Lakers have certainly climbed in our in our estimation since the playoffs have begun. But that is still a team that, to me, could beat the Lakers. That is that is a a big time concern for them. I don't think the Thunder can. I think the, I think the Thunder are, more, are a more traditional matchup. Um, you know, Danilo Gallinari is not gonna is not going to be the guy who beats the Lakers. I think if you're the Lakers, you are watching this series and you know cheering as loud as you can for for the Oklahoma City Thunder because the idea of getting James Harden and Russell Westbrook together in a series should scare you. Yeah, not only that, but like there's just like a different of difference of mindset where if you're facing the Thunder in the second round, they're like, "Wow, what a season! We got to the second round. Oh, whatever. If the Lakers take us out four one, like think about if you're Sam Presti in that front office, you're like, mm-hmm. first of all, we shouldn't have been here." Um and Gil- Jay Gilgis Alexander has taken a huge leap and w- what experience this has been for him I can't even believe we beat Russell Westbrook and the Rockets in the first round and like it's just it's a it's just mission has already been accomplished and and you got a bunch of young guys and they're really just more worried about like experience where if you get the Rockets in the second round the Rockets are in title or bust mode like that whole roster is like just they're desperately trying to you know crawl towards the championship before all of their primes are over you know they've been so close and um being close adds the experience that makes them more dangerous but also just when you have that playoff desperation when you're it's a it's it's a difference when you're down to one and you're fearing you're feeling like this could be your last chance at a ring whereas if you're the thunder you're like first of all we don't have a chance at a ring and we're just trying to build for the future houston's not building for the future this is a now moment for houston um and they're just unique they're just strange to play uh just with everything about it and like we will get into a lot more detail about the matchup because i very much think this is the matchup we will be discussing in detail in the next two weeks um but yeah i'm actually excited for it um because I, it's just it's gonna create such these just like cross issues that i'm just curious who like dictates the action we talk about like how the Lakers have really dictated stuff in this Portland series. They forced Lillard into these situations and Lillard's kind of laid down. Houston's going to try to force the Lakers to do stuff to lay, you know, particularly with lineup tweaks. Like it's a, it's really a good cross coaching matchup. Before we close the book on the first round series, I do want to, um, I want to see if there's anything in this series that has really surprised you. I have one um, kind of on the, on the, on the rotations front, but I'm curious if there has been anything as you've watched these first four games of Blazers Lakers, if there's been anything tactically or performance wise that you did not see coming. Yeah, it's funny. I was actually about to give you some interesting stuff I've seen from Rockets Thunder because I thought we were staying there because I have some takes on what's going on there. But with the Lakers, I mean, the J.R. Smith thing, and maybe that's what you were alluding to. Um, I don't know why Vogel's doing it. Um, <laughs> J.R. Smith looks pretty pretty washed up um i i don't know if he i can't remember he made any threes yesterday but he was like four of 22 from three in the bubble at one point they were like a minus 46 i put that stat out there but uh in his court time uh and i thought waiters did enough in the seeding games to particularly in a more low stress first round right now to keep earning you know minutes now rajon rondo may come in and just jump both of them but I personally don't understand the J.R. Smith minutes right now. I don't know about you. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're like-minded. I was I just don't understand um, 
Dion Waiters not playing more. That was not what I saw coming at all. I, you know, we've talked about it. I anticipated Dion Waiters playing, you know, 18 minutes a game in this first round. Instead, he played one minute in game one, and then he's played, you know, sizable minutes in the two blowouts. Otherwise, he hasn't been a first half rotation player. He hasn't been in, in kind of your traditional second team lineups. And listen, Alex Caruso has been very good in this series. Like he has been defensively what they've needed. And maybe that's just the answer is that is that you need a defensive um, guard on the floor as, as, the head of, as the head of the snake defensively. And Deion Waiters certainly isn't that. But especially after game one, when the Lakers really um, sputtered um, offensively. And, you know, again, defense was good. They held Portland to the, their lowest total in the bubble, I believe, up to that point. But I went into game two expecting to see Deion Waiters be the first guard off the bench. And instead, it was J.R. Smith to start the second quarter. And I was not prepared for that at all because I didn't feel like he really cured their ills. Now, obviously, they were 5 of 32 from three in the, in the first game. So you start thinking, okay, if, if you're creating good looks um, and you're just missing open shots, J.R. Smith is a guy who theoretically can hit open shots. He hadn't in the bubble, as you said, but at least he is conceptually a different person to knock down those looks that, that LeBron was generating. But I was surprised we didn't see Deion Waiters more. And with Rajon Rondo in the bubble, cleared for basketball uh, activities, cleared to play, at least from his thumb. Uh, now he's dealing with back spasms. But you would think that he'd be back soon. And maybe it's not in this series. Maybe it's for the start of the Rockets series. But I think it was Kyle Goon who put it out. But did you see that video? Of, oh, it was um, so... It looked it looked like my, you know, looked my, like he my, my grandmother. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Of him walking, yeah. You know, I don't know what the timeline on back spasms is. I mean, guys play through that stuff a lot. But you see that video of him and it's like, is that something that you get over in a day or two? Or is that something that ends your season? Because he looked like he was struggling. Yeah, backs are strange. Where well, and I will, and I will say this later. Yesterday, uh, some sometime we were talking to Frank Vogel. He did have kind of an ominous comment where he said, "You know, kind of hopefully we'll get Rondo back at some point." It wasn't like you know Rondo gets some rest and he'll be back. It was and coach coaches always are vague and cryptic, and so you don't know whether or not that is something to read into or not necessarily, but it did get my attention. I think there should be like, no, like whatever Rondo does give him in the playoffs. Great. But I think there should be no reliance that you'll get any production from him because beyond the fact that yes, now he has, I mean, he's, he's rushed back from a thumb injury that I can't imagine is fully healed. He's walking around. He's basically just like looking like he needs a cane. Like I said, and um, he just hasn't been that good. And he, when's the last time he played a game? March 10th? March 10th. Yeah, that's the last time he played an NBA basketball game. So to drop him in a Houston Rockets series for you know 12 minutes is probably not the best idea. That's why I have been a little bit curious that they haven't tried to generate rhythm in Deion Waiters. Because to me, he's the highest ceiling option of these guys. What you're saying is right. Like, J.R. Smith, when you're struggling from three, and if you had to give one of the two a wide open three, you would pick J.R. Smith just because of his history. Just like if you said one of the two has to guard C.J. McCollum in the non-Lillard, you know, second unit minutes, you historically would pick J.R. Smith. J.R. Smith has a history of being a late playoff, decent defender. You know, back in those Cleveland Cavaliers series uh, against the Warriors or the Raptors or, you know, all those teams that used to play in those LeBron days. Uh, J.R. has a is better defensively than his – was better defensively than his reputation probably – um suggested but the problem is that's not the jr smith who currently exists he looks very stiff defensively right now cj mccollum 
just went right by him, like a you know turnstile a few times. Um, and I think it was game three. I can't imagine Waiters is worse than that defensively right now. So uh, I would, and I still would, particularly in game five where it doesn't feel like it's going to be super competitive. Uh, I would give Dion like a longer, like you said, first half rotation run because he can do a bit more. He's younger. To me, that's the biggest thing. He's younger than Rondo. And JR Smith. This has always been a um, an Alex Caruso appreciation podcast. He was our first guest on the podcast ba- way back in November. Whoa! Thank you. That I podcast is available for that. download. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you'll get at least one today from me. But I'll tell you, I have been impressed by him in this series. We've always talked about him as kind of the guy who could do the most of the things you would need, even if he wasn't um, the most, even if he wasn't your best option as you know a ball handler or shooter or a defender. He can do the most of each of those things. I think he's been tremendous defensively in this series in his in his uh, opportunities on on Lillard. He has knocked down some open shots particularly in the last couple of games which I mean early on I mean he was he was missing everything just like everyone else but I mean he was not a guy you wanted taking shots. I think he took a late late game 3 in game 1 and you just were pulling your hair out not understanding why. But then in uh game 2 I believe game 2 or 3. No, it was game 3 when he scored 10 points and had the 7 assists. You know, that was to me the best point guard minutes we'd seen from him where he really was creating and, and there was, um, the, he was running the pick and roll with Davis for, um, four consecutive, uh, mid range jumpers. I think Alex Caruso has really proven his worth, uh, in this series for a guy who had never played in the postseason and obviously has had Frank Vogel's trust throughout the year and is, is a popular player for a lot of reasons. I thought he had taken, uh, has taken some big strides in, in a moment where he was, you know, very much, you know, on display. I think he's. I think he's done a great job. Yeah, I've liked him against Lillard. Um, he's done good pestering him. You know, he's not going to lock anybody up and like they're double. You know, this is not a one guy job against Lillard. But Absolutely. the way you know what him and Pope have done is you know pick up full court. You know, kind of you know body check, chase him off screens. You know, get into him physically. Um, you know, get out in front on the fast break fight through screens to get over the top and, you know, set up that trap. Like, he's good at that. He's got a test ahead of him, though, because James Harden is different than Lillard. James Harden is bigger than Lillard. James Harden will use that booty and that hip and that, you know, and not only James Harden, we're talking Eric Gordon, who's had a great series against the Thunder. Russell Westbrook, if he's back, that, you know, these are bigger, more physical guys. You know, Lillard kind of wants to speed by you. He's, he's all about the quickness, the quick twitch, the step back, the, you know, quick release. Uh, and Caruso, that's what you Caruso's very quick. And that's what's made him, I think, a pretty decent Lillard defender. But the Rockets are linebackers. And they will see Caruso and they're going to want to body Caruso. So I, he has passed, uh, I guess, test number one in the playoffs. Test number two is tougher. But I'm interested to see him. You know, he's earned all the minutes and, and this large rotation spot that he has. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see how he handles uh, the Rockets, though. Well, it gets back to the, the the Rondo issue also, because when Rondo comes back, I mean, he had a carved out, defined role on this in this lineup before before um, before the shutdown, and then he missed this time. But you know, the way the Lakers have been clicking in their guard rotation, I think we agree that Waiters needs more minutes, and that there, you know, there are more minutes for a, a secondary ball handler. But Caruso, I think, has probably cut into a little bit of Rondo's value. Yeah, I would say in the year 2020, Alex Caruso is clearly a better NBA player than Rajon Rondo. Um, and, you know, just the name recognition makes that like a weird statement to hear, I'm sure. But he just is. 
Um, and, you know, even as a mini playmaker, playmaker is maybe the wrong word, but I mean, you sent me the quote and I used it in my article because you identified it as kind of an interesting vocal quote, but it was about uh, when Davis really got going from the mid-range in game three, uh, Vogel really credited the way Caruso kind of ran that, you know, high screen stuff and set up Davis, you know, in his shooting pocket, got it to him. Like, it's kind of simple basketball action, but Caruso did it well. I mean, it's it's just smart, sharp point guard play, and he's succeeded against Portland. So if he's doing that, then he really supersedes Rondo right now, I think. Well, and listen, LeBron James has become the assist leader in the NBA and, and one of the greatest players of all time by by making the right play. Now, for him, the degree of difficulty on a lot of these passes is a lot higher than what we're talking about with Alex Caruso, um, you know, recognizing uh, AD on the pick and pop. But making the right pass and getting it to the guy who's open is is the is the game. And so if Alex Caruso is doing his job, um, then that is, like you said, clearly makes him the more value, the more valuable player. Um, and, and I think you'll, you'll continue to see that going forward. But the matchups in the second round get even tougher because I look at Russell Westbrook and James Harden as Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum plus, right? These are the two best backcourts that are in, still active in the bubble. And it's just another huge test for the Lakers defense when they, when they get there. And I know we've written off Portland in this series, but it sounds like we're also writing off the thunder. We don't, we don't think they can do it. No, I think they can because I've seen Houston collapse before. <laughs> But first of all, I don't think they will. If I, you know, I think everyone would still pick Houston. If it is the Thunder, then suddenly we're having an entirely different discussion on the podcast next week. And the, like we've talked about, the Lakers are happy if that's the result. I think we should only really break down the Houston series against the Lakers because that's the only one that to me feels toss-up-y. Did you watch that OT game? Uh, or did you watch these last two like Thunder Rockets down to the wire games? You know, uh... With with children in the house, I've had I have watched I've watched almost every yeah, uh, yeah. playoff game that's been on, but my 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 level of detail on on them is probably not what it is on on series that I'm actively covering. Yeah, it's been interesting. You know, they were the Houston won the first two because they were like really good in the non Harden minutes, uh, which surprised me because like Jeff Green has been great. Like if Jeff Green plays like he if Jeff Green and Eric Gordon play like they did really in like the first two and a half two and three quarters games of that series, like. Houston becomes a much more dangerous uh, against the Lakers. Now, the Westbrook dynamic when they inject him maybe into this series or or if they hold off, get by the Thunder anyways and then just inject him right into the Lakers series, it's clear he's getting close. He kind of rearranges their team again. I don't know. But again, like I said, I'm really only thinking about Lakers-Houston. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's me being disrespectful to my former team i used to cover but they're they're frisky but to me they're not like a a second round threat well by the time we uh talk to you next it should be uh we should be well into a a lakers rocket series i believe that should be well underway by the time we next record next week so we will know more we will have uh waved goodbye to the portland trailblazers and possibly the oklahoma city thunder maybe the what if we're talking pre-game seven like lakers blazers it's just it just is it's the series that has that has uh been revitalized and become this i mean listen the blazers were the team of the bubble they had the player of the bubble um would it shock you if they became if they ended up having the playoff series of the bubble Yes, it would. It would, it would shock us. Would, we do not see that coming. I'm sorry, but I think Luka Doncic and the Mavericks have already stolen that uh, title. How, how about we didn't? We didn't get too. We, 
yeah, we didn't get that much into that, but that's interesting from a Lakers perspective, what's going on with the Clippers. I would not have imagined that we'd be sitting here possibly projecting a second round matchup between the Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz. And if that yeah. happens, and if that happens, and the Lakers can get past the Houston Rockets, they're going to the NBA Finals. Yeah, I would say, you know, and maybe the most encouraging stuff for the Lakers title hopes is not exactly what they've done, but it's, you know, you look at their two biggest potential, you know, we thought, you know, rivals to or biggest competitors for the ring. It's Milwaukee, who yes, they're up three one, and they've kind of, they've stabilized. They're going to beat Orlando, but like nothing about Milwaukee's play or Chris Middleton's play has like inspired you to believe that they are like runaways in the East. So like they've kind of looked down. The Clippers and like this Paul George situation is kind of getting interesting. Um, like this is, I mean, it is a. I don't want to say the path is cleared because the Lakers themselves are very flawed, but like there is just no giant in the way like every team has issues right now and and listen i think that that will be true of the lakers as we get deeper in the playoffs i think once the level of competition goes up we will see um some of the issues that we've spotlighted over the course of the restart whether it's their shooting or their or perhaps their perimeter defense although they've put those at bay in this series there will be things about the lakers that make us go "Ooh, maybe they're not the championship team that we thought they are but right now they look really good and this has been a um an absolute um banger of a start to the postseason for them and for the nba you know like this has been fun you know it's been a good first round particularly i would say this the east first round hasn't been good but it's setting up to be a terrific second round where you're gonna have bucks heat which is gonna be a great series and then raptor celtics should be a really good series and then in the west it has been an awesome first round you know with much ahead with these you know two game five game sixes in in the series we're talking about you know the lakers blazers at least you had the star power and you know the West playoffs second round and the West finals are going to be competitive. You got to give it up to the NBA for not only the fact that they've created this healthy bubble, but also um, the product's been very good. You know, I know the TV ratings are not as spectacular as the NBA hoped they would be, but I would not at all blame the actual product that they put out there for that. It's been a lot of fun. It's been, you know, the first round, really through the seeding round, and then the first round of the playoffs where you had basketball from 10 a.m. on the West Coast, 10 a.m. basically until um, until bedtime. And that w- that's been a lot of fun, and it's, it's, it's been a great product. I agree with you. All right, so this has been the Forum Club on the Athletics NBA Podcast Network. I'm Bill Oram, joined by Anthony Slater, who already has a ring. We will talk to you next week.